Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Hal Bryan and I'm EAA's managing editor for print and digital content and publications. Over there across the table at a good safe social distance, it is Tom Sharpentier, government relations director. And Tom, uh, joining us today through the magic of the internet uh, is Michael Halbrick, who has a pretty interesting uh, story to tell about... uh, something he did in general aviation in a way he uh, found a reason to fly to, we'll call it a lot of airports. So Michael, welcome uh, to the show. We're really glad to have you. Well, thanks so much for having me. But now before we get into, uh, into your expedition, (laughs) such as it was, let's, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, Tell us uh, how you sort of first got involved in aviation. Did you come from an aviation family? Were you an airplane kid or, what was, uh, what was it that first led you to it? Absolutely none of the above. I'm willing to bet I probably have the strangest pathway to get into aviation. For 21 years, I drove by Batten Field on my way to the golf course. Uh, I was a member at a, at a country club, and I played golf. And a bad back got in between me and playing golf. And when I was younger, I always dreamt about the idea of flying and looked at that as a career, but... I had pretty bad eyesight, and that's all I heard is you need to have good eyesight, so I never even pursued it beyond that. But there was a sign out there uh, that said, learn to fly. And that, along with four years before that, uh, going with a good friend of mine to the Air Venture in Oshkosh, uh, kind of all came together. And I said, well, let me try this discovery flight over at Racine Sport Flyers in a little uh, flight design CTLS, and that was the beginning of where I am right now. So, so you learned in a, in a CTLS? Yes, I did. And, and and the reason why I think that's kind of interesting. The reason why I came I came back actually I saw the CTLS uh, up at uh, Air Venture, and I found out that they had an operation. There was an operation down in Racine to learn to fly, and what got me was the whole idea of having a ballistic parachute. So when I got home, I said to my wife, I think I'm going to learn to fly. And she said, you're, you know, no, no, that's crazy. You're going to kill yourself. I said, no, honey, you don't understand. This plane has a parachute. She said, well, what about the other person? <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> the whole plane has a parachute for the, the whole plane comes down. And she said, okay. And she's gone along with me uh, for a lot of the crazy things I've done in my life. So uh, she said, okay, we'll see how far this goes. And, uh, well, let me just say, I don't want to get too far ahead of the story, but she actually followed me on one of the states that we completed. So I'd say she went pretty far. Absolutely. Um, so you did all of your training in the CTLS that was start to finish? Yes, it mixed in a little bit with uh, 172, but initially I stayed in the light sport category. I didn't want to have to deal with uh, with a uh, the medical issue and all of that. So I just wanted to keep it kind of simple. I eventually did uh, transition to uh, private pilot, and I'm right now just finishing up on my instrument rating. Oh wow, well, that's uh, that's fantastic. That's quite an achievement. Uh, what are you flying uh, while you're working on your instrument? Uh, one seventy-two. How far uh, are you from the uh, check ride? Well, um, I'm targeting middle to the end of April. I'm actually down in Phoenix. Uh, I'm talking to you from Phoenix. I also live here in Phoenix, and uh, and I'm working out of uh, Glendale. 
a municipal airport. And uh, Phoenix is a really unique place to learn to fly. Uh, there are tremendous, there's so many students out there flying and we've got one, uh, everyone flies to the same uh, three approaches uh, over at Casa Grande and you stack up over a Stanfield VOR and sometimes every 500 feet you're in a holding pattern. Sometimes it goes all the way up to 7,500 feet starting at 3,800 feet just to give you an idea of how much traffic. So you learn to fly in a lot of traffic. It's really, I think it's a really great environment uh, to, to learn instrument. Well, that, uh, in my experience, uh, instrument check ride was the the hardest check ride, the hardest test of any kind I've ever done, uh, but it's also hands down among the most rewarding and most gratifying uh, to have that rating. So, so good for you for going for it. It's terrific. I was just curious uh, what what it was like coming out of the CTLS into the uh, into the 172. I actually my first three lessons were on a CTLS, and um, all I remember is that I had to worry a lot about adverse rudder in the CTLS and uh, that I got very good and coordinated turns uh, very quickly. Absolutely right, Tom. That is, uh, if you, and let's add one more element to it. Learn to fly a CTLS over at Batten Field where uh, on two ends of the main runway, you've got, you've got really some great conditions that will make it rather challenging. They're called quarries. <laughs> so, so you and then add to it. You're about a mile uh, from the east part of the uh, of the airport. You're about a mile to this big heat sink called Lake Michigan. So uh, you really you have a ha- your hands full with all kinds of conditions. I think that uh, Batten Field is really a great place to learn. So let's get into the uh, kind of the heart of the matter. Why you're uh, why, why we're having this podcast here? So you visited, um, or you, sorry, you completed the passport program in five states, which involved 510 airports over the course of 55 days and uh, and, and about three years worth of uh, of flying, uh, off and on. What what drew you to that challenge, and uh, kind of how did you start? Well, I started with the Wisconsin iFly program, which was originally launched in uh, late uh, summer of uh, 2017. So in 2016, I bought I bought into a CTLS, and uh, that summer in 2016, I flew uh, to try to find my ancestry uh, around the Dakotas uh, with my wife, a uh, newly minted private pilot. And then uh, when I got back, I found out about this iFly Wisconsin program, and I kind of took it on weekends and chipped away at it over thirteen uh, over thirteen months, and that was kind of that that really kind of set the stage. After I got done with Wisconsin, then I looked around at the other ones, but I would say that the the first one was was Wisconsin and my experience of doing that and. Uh, the challenge, and as you mentioned, you fly in a in a light sport CTLS, you're going to be really sensitive uh, to learn about weather. There's no doubt about that. So, how many? Uh, uh, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. We've got this the five states. We know the total, but do you recall how many uh, airports that is in Wisconsin to complete the program? I think it was a uh, hundred and twenty four airports out of a hundred and twenty six. They gave you a grace period of a couple of them, two, two of them that you could uh, kind of take a pass on. And uh, so I, I want to say it was around 104, 124. And what I do recall is the last airport I finished was Volk Field when they opened up once a year. Oh, and I so I, I, I got that one at, uh, at one of the fly-ins and finished, 
finished uh, finished Wisconsin at that point in time. That was a that was in uh, two thousand and eighteen, the the fall. Okay. Now tell us what it means to uh, you know what what does it mean to do one of these airports? Uh, are you you're you're not just flying over it? Uh, are, you, are you just doing a touch and go, or what what all is involved? Well, Hal, each state has their own rules, and uh, Wisconsin. First of all, I want to say that every one of these programs, I think, are really well done, and it depends on when they launched it and what resources, whoever sponsored the iFly Challenge, uh, whatever they decided for the rules and what they set up. So, for example, Wisconsin, uh, the expectation is you were actually given a passport. Your expectation was to find the stamps at at each airport and online, they, they have the location of where those stamps are. Wisconsin was really a scavenger hunt because you never knew exactly where it would be. Uh, compare that to North Dakota, where the state uh, uh, division of aviation actually sponsored it. And every airport got a, a unique, uh, well, they were all the same. It was, a, it was one of those weatherproof mailboxes. And you would find those things zip-tied to... Uh, to windsock poles or on the, drilled into the side of a, of, a, of a building I wouldn't call an FBO uh, or anywhere. It could be anywhere, mailbox, but they, they were unique and that was kind of standardized. Uh, the sta- so the expectation was to land, find the stamp, stamp it in your book, and that proved it. If for some reason either the conditions were not conducive for landing safely or some, or there wasn't, you couldn't find the stamp, you could prove it by some type of uh, either photograph, a photograph, a video, or something that proved that you were there. So the state of Iowa, there you literally could do touch and goes. Uh, they, they, had, they issued a log book, and actually they were the first state of the five states in the Midwest to launch their program. So they didn't issue stamps. They actually issued uh, their own version of the log book with each of the airports listed in there, and you would put the um, the wind conditions and the airport that you landed on and the time, date and time. And so you put your own log log together. Uh, so Arizona, Iowa was the easiest one uh, in terms of speed to be able to just do touch and goes. I could do 25 airports in a day. Oh, my gosh. Even that's that's amazing. So the, the five states uh, in total were Wisconsin, North Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, and South Dakota, correct? That's correct. That's correct. So once you were done with uh, Wisconsin, what what kind of inspired you to go further? Uh, what, what was what was your first state after that? My first state was North Dakota, and the seeds were planted from that a couple years earlier when my wife and I went on this Western tour to find uh, my ancestry. Uh, we ended up in Scotts Bluff, uh, uh, Nebraska, and and that was it was part of it we flew through north dakota on our way there and uh stayed in a couple of we stayed in bismarck for a couple of days because of weather and i just really thought wow this is really cool and then the other thing that was kind of foolish on my part i thought well wisconsin's got 120 124 airports i looked at the other states and i said 89 airports that's a piece of cake compared to <laughs> wisconsin there's a lot of things i learned <laughs> along the way uh one of them is is that most of my assumptions uh, were incorrect. So <laughs> my wife, well, my wife reminded me. Uh, so anyway, I said to her, I invited her along, and I said, 
This is a state that will allow you, if you're a student pilot, we can both do it and you'll end up with a jacket, which by the way, uh, four of the five states, your uh, top award is a, is an aviation jacket, an aviator jacket. So you got something to show for it. So right now I got a closet full of them. <laughs> That's excellent. Just wear one every day of the week. There you go. Pretty much. Now, now North Dakota, that was the 89 airports, but uh, you, you thought that was going to be easy, and it didn't take you very long if I'm looking at the dates correctly. But what was the big challenge there? Well... <laughs> <laughs> the devil's in the details there, Hal. Uh, not long, uh, you're, you guys are both pilots. Some of the period of time that's the shortest by clock is some of the longest in living through, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, you know, that saying, it's better to be on the ground wishing you were in the air than being in the air wishing you were the ground. Well, yes. some of that was in play. But uh, it, North Dakota is an interesting uh, situation in that, uh, I had no idea. I I thought I knew what was going on, what to expect. But North Dakota, every state has its own set of circumstances around weather. All of it was done, well, three of the states were done uh, in the summer, so I got kind of the same conditions. But what was unique about North Dakota is that uh, the late afternoon, they would get, they, they tend to get, thunderstorms that would just pop up and come out of Canada when you were in the northern part of the state. And that can really, and, and there really isn't much weather reporting. That's the other thing. You can do the best job you can of planning. And I planned, I'd started about 4.30 in the morning. Uh, you know, sun, you have long days when you're that far north. Started 4.30 in the morning with uh, pre-flight planning of the day. I'd have the route mapped out. And uh, in North Dakota, my wife was there and and uh, I'd usually wake her up about six o'clock. We'd grab breakfast, uh, kind of the same routine. We would stay at some hotel that had some type of breakfast included. And then we would be off uh, to whatever the adventures were for that day. And I don't know how many times I, I really thought it was going to be an easy day. And it turned out to be some surprise of some sort. And you never knew exactly what it was going to be. But towards the end, my wife just said, don't tell me what's going to happen. <laughs> Let's just see what happens. Don't even try to guess so, or try to plan. Yeah, it, just, it, I, it's, it is going to be what it's going to be. Well, one of the things I did in North Dakota is I did have a bailout for her. And that was there are six airports that do have commercial flights. And I said along the way, at any time, uh, you can always grab a flight. Uh, connecting through uh, Minneapolis, about 500 bucks, you'll be back in Milwaukee and you'll be in your own bed that night. So if it gets too bad, you you know, you can always bail out. But what's interesting in North Dakota is we started out, we actually, we actually did it, aborted the whole trip and came back and did it. So it was over, so the first day we got there was Wappington and, um, then we took off. Linderwood was the first airport we landed on. By the way, I've got some videos on a on a YouTube channel. Uh, if anyone's interested, take a look at it. But Linderwood was the first first wake up call I had at about seven o'clock in the morning when we went to land there. A grass strip surrounded by water that's called they're called sloughs down there. Well, what comes along with water is waterfowl. And what's also in North and South Dakota are pheasants. So you you pick which one on the runway you want to deal with. Uh, water was on both sides. And so the first runway that I landed on, Grass Strip, I had pheasants running along the side and I had 
ducks flying in front of me. And I thought, oh, welcome to North Dakota. <laughs> um, at the That day, we hit 16 airports, um, and it was a real adventure in that uh, the one airport, which was really memorable in North Dakota, probably of all of them, it's called Gackle, a little community with about less than 300 souls there. And they have what is really loosely using the term airport as two runways, both grass strips, uh, 1,150-foot runway, and another one 1,600 feet. Um, I had to do, and and the density altitude, by the time I got there, I was estimating it from the closest weather was at least 5,000 feet uh, density altitude. And I had to actually pull out the POH, sit down and do some planning a couple of airports before where I actually had a, a little FBO to sit in. Um, and I called ahead to uh, the, somebody in the aviation community there. And by the way, it's really well, a really close knit family of aviators in North Dakota. It was a flight instructor who knew Gackle and said, I just flew in there and the runway was cut. Big mistake. I didn't ask if both runways were cut. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and the winds were such that um, I had I ended up taking the short runway. So I had 1,150 feet. If you look in the POH, you're going to see that uh, to clear a 50-foot object uh, or obstacle at uh, uh, at 5,000 feet, which is as high as the POH goes in terms of density altitude, you need 1,100 feet. Um, so it was kind of close. And add to it the drag of the grass. Uh, I explained to my wife on departure, I said, honey, it'll be fine. We'll be in ground effect. It's going to look like I'm pitching. By the way, it's all surrounded by water. It's called getting airspeed so we can get out. So I actually have that video uh, on uh, my YouTube channel. It's called Departing from Gackle. And you can hear the stall horn going off, and I'm pitching towards the water and then pull up and get the airspeed and get out of there. I explained to her I didn't have to worry. There's no obstacles to clear. Uh, the water is lower than the runway, so we'll be just fine once we get airborne. But you're going to see water, and it's going to look like I'm pitching at it. So that was kind of an exciting day. But at the end of that day, um, I was really quite exhausted. The air quality was pretty bad. There were some fires in Canada, and I had some respiratory issues, and I wasn't able to sleep that night. I was coming off of respiratory infection, and the next, I got up early that morning, and my wife knew I didn't sleep. And we were going to fly into uh, more challenging conditions with weather and everything else. And I said, you know, I am safe, you know, the acronym. And I said to her, you know, she, she just was looking at me, and I said, you know what, dear, I think we're, we're going to go home. I said, we got a great, we got really great tailwinds. I don't think I'm safe to move forward, and I don't know what medical facilities are going to be ahead of us. Let's just go home and regroup. It's only about a three and a half to four hour flight. Um, and that's exactly what we did. So the first go around in North Dakota was actually, uh, we actually aborted the trip and came back to Wisconsin, uh, got back on Sunday, was in bed. And uh, sure enough, it was, it, I, I felt better and everything looked like it was, and this was actually, if you recall the storms we had a few years ago at, uh, at Air Venture, where everything got flooded. Sure, yeah. yeah. Sure. You remember that? Yeah, we remember yeah. it, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Well, that Thursday, when the rain came in, Thursday and Friday, that's when we departed. There was a window of about 50 miles. We were able to shoot a little little rough air, but we, re- we got out on the other side of that major front, um, and we had unbelievably cool weather. While you at Air Venture 
were roasting with humid, humidity and heat, North Dakota was pretty good. So we actually finished it. This we finished North Dakota with the rest of um, actually that that Thursday, and then Air Venture started that weekend, and we got done. And I actually attended Air Venture uh, the last couple of days uh, after completing North Dakota. Oh, that's that's terrific. So then uh, from North Dakota, it was on to uh, Iowa, correct? That's correct. That fall. So I got done with North Dakota. Iowa was 100, I want to say it was around 116 airports, something like that. But I didn't realize, and it, so I started that in, I think it was like September, October, something like that. Days are starting to get a little shorter. But Iowa was a really interesting, it was probably the easiest of the five states. The weather the sun wasn't as intense, so you didn't have as much thermals. You didn't have as much activity um, with uh, turbulence. And, and the other thing is Iowa is a remarkably beautiful state. Uh, their, their program, if there's one of, if one of the pilots listening who's done Wisconsin and is looking for another state, I couldn't encourage them to take uh, to do Iowa. It's a great state. And you'll be surprised at some of the beautiful airports uh, that, that you'll encounter along the way. And I always thought of it as flat corn country. But on both ends, the east and the west, you've got rivers that flow through there, Mississippi on the east. You've got beautiful bluffs. And there's some, there's some airports that take advantage of those bluffs. They're just spectacular views. It is surprisingly beautiful country, I found, from when I've flown down there. Yeah, yeah, we have um, a, a number of family friends who live in Iowa, so we fly there frequently. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm an East Coaster by birth, and uh, um, I I never really knew much about Iowa, but it is a very beautiful state to fly in. So Iowa, after after Iowa, uh, I looked at I looked at the next state as being Minnesota, and I knew Minnesota was going to be a challenge, and it, it really was. That was the most difficult of the states. I don't, it was just the the weather there. I think it's the difference between you've got large farms, then you have lot, you have forests mixed in along with all the water, uh, all these lakes and everything. And, and Minnesota, in terms of the rules, uh, they, their rule book says for their program is you're expected to land in 130 airports. There's 134 there was two of them shut down by NOTAMs, so I had 132, so I had two I could miss. I did fly into Minneapolis-St. Paul, um, and that was that that was a lot of fun. That was it was definitely uh, an experience. I flew in with another pilot who's also uh, his name is um, uh, Greg Malowski, and he's actually done Wisconsin and Iowa. I met him at the awards banquet for Iowa, and he said he was going to work on. Minnesota, and I said, "Well, let's work together." So we actually did spend a day together. It was July third, uh, this past year, uh, twenty twenty. We spent uh, flying around all the airports under the uh, Bravo airspace uh, in uh, in many the Minneapolis area. So we did fly into to uh, Minneapolis St. Paul, which was a which was always exciting to come in with a little plane. When you call when you call approach and you tell them what your intentions are, and they say, "Would you?" Please repeat what 
what what plane is that now? What kind of plane is that? <laughs> uh, that's not one that they are readily uh, used to seeing fly in their into their airport. So that was kind of fun. But that was Minnesota was a real challenge uh, in a number of ways. Uh, the weather was something that I just couldn't get a handle around. Finally, I realized you get up early in the morning, you fly until eleven o'clock, and then you just take the next four hours off. Don't even, no matter what the forecast is, don't believe it, because the turbulence from uh, at, in the middle of the summer is just too great with the unevening, uneven heating of the surfaces is what I best I could figure out, and uh, I ended up in a in a little F, a little airport called. Uh, uh, tower on the northern, just almost on the Canadian border, and I've actually been there. Yeah. Oh, cute, cute, cute little uh, uh, A-frame log uh, log cabin. Um, I guess you'd call it an FBO. I ended up staying there for for a day, thank goodness, and use their courtesy car to go over to the casino. That was another situation where the, I mean, the winds were just unbelievable, um, and. I got the plane on the ground and that was it. Uh, so anyway, that was, I actually called my wife from tower and I said, uh, honey, I think I'm going to bail on this. I think uh, Minnesota has just been too difficult. Like North Dakota, Minnesota, I flew, I flew uh, July 3rd and 4th and 5th and I got a bunch of airports done. I ended up with a respiratory, uh, upper respiratory infection again, and I figured out it might have been doing 25 airports a day, 20 to 25 airports with the up and down change in, in, um, in air pressure, uh, along with my allergies. So I ended up bailing, uh, going back home on the 6th, and then came back and finished up uh, on the 13th of July. I took a week off. Uh, actually, I had to do a re some repairs on my plane um, and... Uh, and then came back and finished after that. That's awesome. And and then from there it was on to uh, South Dakota. And I have to ask, uh, did you uh, did you get your Wall drug sticker when you stopped at Wall? Uh, no, uh, I've been to Wall already. I've been to Wall Drug before. So uh, that time, what I did was I actually spent an extended weekend and got fifty nine airports done. There was seventy three airports total. I got fifty nine of them done. And I saved the last uh, 13, 14 airports to come back with my wife and finish. So she was with me as I finished the five Midwestern states. And I promised her this trip, and I did the best I could to honor that promise, but I promised her to not make it exciting. <laughs> uh, aviation and excitement uh, for a passenger just doesn't mix. And I did a really good job we t to do those last 14 airports uh, we actually spent six days. So there was three days in Rapid City where uh, the winds were just too much. And we did miss one airport, uh, Custer State Park Airport. Um, we, the winds I got away. I got up early in the morning and the winds built up on me. And that was the last airport for flying for that day. We were going to be on the ground by 1030. This was probably 10 o'clock and the winds had already picked up to the point where um I wasn't going to give her. I wasn't going to give her a you know Great America, Six Flags uh, <laughs> ride to get the plane down. So took a uh, so just did a little pass on that one. Wow. So uh, you mentioned uh, that was it four of the five states for completing the programs. You get a, a, a nice flight jacket. 
what are the other sorts of uh, uh, prizes or rewards that you got for this journey? Well, all all of the states have three levels. So they have a bronze, uh, a bronze, silver, and and gold level. And typically at the bronze level, you, you know, coffee cup mug saying "I fly South Dakota" or uh, a, a hat. I think Wisconsin has a hat and a T-shirt or something like that. And then there's uh, the silver level. Uh, I've got. I, I ended up with a, a couple of really nice flight bags. The one I got from Wisconsin, by the way. Of the five states, Wisconsin's got the best swag. <laughs> not because I'm from Wisconsin, not because I'm partial, but the fact of the matter is they've got the most expensive swag. They've got a beautiful uh, flight bag at that silver silver letter, uh, level that's definitely, um, I mean, it's it's an expensive flight bag. That's awesome. Um, the... Uh you mentioned a little bit in your uh, in your blog post, and by the way, um, you can find a, a full write up of this trip on EAA's blog if you go to um, inspire.ea.org. It also includes links uh, to Michael's YouTube channel. Um, but you mentioned a lot about stopping at uh, various aviation museums and other kind of on airport attractions or slightly off airport attractions. Uh, what were some of your favorite stops, and, uh, and and what did that entail? Well, the sad part about it is COVID wiped out the one that I'm probably going to fly back to see just because it's worth it. And that's in Granite Falls, Minnesota. And that's the uh, Fagan uh, Museum. Because the, the whole thing, I mean, here I come in, the whole place is locked up because of COVID. There's not a soul there. I call the, the, the uh, airport manager and he says, again, I got stuck down there in weather. And can I borrow the courtesy car? There's no transportation here to fly to drive over to to the uh, casino uh, to uh, to stay for out, out wait to uh, wait out the weather. And he said, "Yeah, no one's going to be here. Don't worry about it. You know, you can take the car you know, as long as you need. Just give me give me your cell phone. I'll give you a call if I need it." I never did get a call, but I walked around the grounds there, and that place again from the outside, you got hangars. It's like reconstructed World War II. He's got a bunch of warbirds there. Yeah. World War II, um, basically an aviation show. So they've got bleachers there. They've got, uh, they have a temporary tower when they're actually doing air shows. And I read about it. I saw it from the outside. I peeked in the windows. They even had a victory garden uh, between a couple of the, uh, the hangars as part of the museum. I thought, you know, I go there and what the heck is this? garden there's nobody even around here and somebody had you know there's tomatoes everything else they had a sign right there a victory garden so that's the one that i that one along with the uh charles Lindbergh. i didn't realize that he was born uh grew up everywhere i fly i always see charles Lindbergh. charles Lindbergh. it seems like he's been all over the place but he's actually from little falls minnesota that museum was also closed because of covid but the museum director uh, left a stamp out so I could get the stamp. So again, peering in the windows, that's about as far as his, his, his home. It was actually turned into a museum, uh, his boyhood home. Uh, but the ones that I actually did see that were pretty cool is the one in Fargo was, uh, was certainly worthwhile. I really, all of them are worthwhile. They all have their own surprises. The one now when I'm thinking about it out in green, uh, um, Greenfield, Iowa, uh, it was a big surprise. I had no idea. I just was going there to get a stamp, and I ended up staying a, about three or four hours because it was amazing uh, what they had there. And I didn't know 
that the Wright brothers had a connection out there. They sold that land before they moved to Ohio. Oh, really? I had no idea. And so uh, if you're going to fly the program, you know, you asked early on, why did I do this? Well, I was looking for an excuse besides the $100 hamburger social to fly into. I would say the surprise are the air museums that are part of all these programs. So if you decide to fly these, don't underestimate the value, the learning opportunity and the discovery that you're going to get from these uh, aviation museums. Uh, Flying Cloud, there was a good one. The finest P-51 restoration I've ever seen. Just as a side note, I have a friend of mine who's actually, he's got a pro. It's getting close to what I call the project to build a P-51 Mustang. Uh, and part of of me going to Minnesota was to go to Bemidji uh, and look at uh, one of the largest manufacturers of parts and restorations for warbirds war is uh, is in Bemidji. Yeah, that's uh, Air Corps Aviation. That's correct, Air Corps. Very good um, place. And I met with the uh, the owner there. Spent a half a day looking at his operation. But then the other thing was Flying Cloud to look at that beautiful P-51 restoration. I mean, they had this thing down to the level of detail was unbelievable. Uh, all the way down to making sure that they had the Reynolds aluminum. Uh, because when they, they threw P-51s together, they didn't care about painting them. They weren't going to last long anyway. So <laughs> we don't have to get cute with that. This is this is just get this out, get it in the air, and let's let's get out and and, uh, and do some some fighting. So anyway, that was a beautiful one there and Flying Cloud. Uh, that museum there is really a beautiful little museum. Uh, but again, don't sell yourself short on these museums. Uh, give yourself some time uh, and and enjoy and be ready ready to discover things you just wouldn't imagine you'd find. That's terrific. Um, looking back on the the trip. Michael, is there anything that jumps out at you that you would do differently? I know you learned a lot about weather and and uh, staying flexible with planning and things like that. But if you if you had it to do over again, anything uh, immediately jump out and say, "Boy, I would absolutely do uh, X instead of Y." Wow, um, you know, you probably have heard that that analogy of when we first become a pilot, we've got two buckets. We've got a bucket full of luck and a bucket full of, of experience. A bucket full of experience starts out empty. You don't know how much is in that bucket full of luck. You hope there's enough in there <laughs> to transfer over. Well, I had a lot of luck. I really did, and I learned an awful lot along the way. Um, just, uh, and, and, you know, what would I have done? The only thing I would say is, is that I probably would have been more careful about what promises I made to my wife. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because we just did, uh, we have a presentation that uh, we're going to be doing for the EAA on the webinar uh, with Tim uh, in May. And I've done that for a couple of chapters. And we just did that for uh, the explorers at, at the uh, our Racine EAA chapter. And one of the uh, young, young, uh, young people there asked, uh, what was my favorite airport, most memorable airport? And my wife was on the call too. We did it together and uh, they asked her that. And she said, her favorite airport is Battenfield. And I said, and then she said, because then I know I'm home. 
And I realized at that point uh, that while she came along and it was an adventure, from her perspective in a light sport to get bounced around, I mean, you somewhere I think you asked me earlier, what did I see the difference between a, a light sport CTLS and a 172? That's the difference between uh, flying in a 747 as a passenger just sitting back and 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 flying in in anything that's much smaller. I mean, it's it's night and day difference. It's amazing what an extra, I guess, roughly six or seven hundred pounds. Yeah, about six or seven hundred pounds makes, uh, but it does make a difference. So part of it is, I guess, what I learned is is that I have to be much more cognizant of what it's like to be a passenger and uh, especially in a light sport and doing something like that. I didn't mention, but the state of Iowa, when I did that, I actually brought along um, a student pilot uh, who's working on his light sport. And he, he did um, 75 or 80 of the airports in Iowa. We spent uh, two weekends, extended weekends together. And I got used to somebody who's another, you know, he's, he's a younger guy and he's, used to getting bounced around a bit but imagine you're not you know you're not a, a pilot per se other than just a little bit of student and you're in a ctls and you're getting really bounced around and i'm just thinking about some of the airports i flew into towner was one a tower was one of them minnesota i mentioned that before um when i got that plane down i told my wife i wouldn't want to be i don't care how good the pilot was who was landing that plane I wouldn't want to be in the right seat because it was just it was just that difficult. Um, the conditions, and again, there's nothing I could do over on it. I did my flight planning. I, I got the weather. It was just that the weather was wrong, and a uh, system kicked up that uh, that was that that was kind of a last minute. It was expected to to not come in the area, and the winds that came around it were just pretty significant. In a 172, I mean, I got the plane on the ground. There was 172s and 182s. They were getting bounced around a bit, but they were flying in and out of there just fine. Not with a, not with a light sport. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the, the lighter wing loading on white, on light sports, it's, uh, it's kind of inevitable. And, um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, for somebody who's, uh, who's not used to it, it, it can be, uh, even for people who are used to it, it can certainly be fatiguing. So absolutely. So, what do you think um, is uh, is next for you as far as uh, as far as your aviation adventures? You, you, know, you talked about you're working on some of your ratings, but would you ever go back to one of these passport programs? Um, any any states nearby that you'd uh, you'd like to explore? Or, um, just just throwing it out there. I um, a couple of years ago there was a gentleman who flew a CTSW, so the short wing version of uh, your airplane, uh, from the UK to Oshkosh. Uh, with uh, with no modifications whatsoever, other other than a heated pitot tube. So uh, you know it can be done. Flew from the UK. <laughs> That's right. Flew right over the Greenland ice cap in a in a CT. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought. Okay. I, I think Tom owes your wife an apology at this point uh, for planning this. Scene, no, 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 no. Way. That's not going to happen. That's, that's okay. Uh, fair enough that you'd ask that. Uh, ask that, Tom. I um, I'm actually looking very seriously at uh, there's uh, there's a program in uh, Virginia and Maryland and Virginia is uh, the first state that ever launched uh, an iFly challenge uh, there's 
that's um, that's going to be a real challenge because you've got uh, DC special uh, airspace there, and you have to. I'm just starting to look at that right now. Uh, there's not that many airports, but that is going to be a real challenge. And I already talked to my wife about it. Actually, she's she initially said she was thinking about joining me, and I said, no, what I'll have you do is I'll have you fly out and meet me in the D.C. area, and we'll do the, we'll do the airports, perhaps we'll do the airports around, um, around the coast area. But the Appalachians, uh, after what I've, and, and I'm studying an awful lot right now of mountain flying out here both in Phoenix, but then my experience in the, in the Black Hills, uh, I've got a lot to learn and I think it's uh, Dahlia um, Coven. She's got a good program. Uh, she does a fair number of of uh, safety seminars for the uh, FAA safety. And she's got a program on mountain flying, uh, a video that you know, I, I realized that, that that's, that's some serious stuff. So I'm considering that maybe this summer. We'll see. There aren't any other Midwestern states that have a program uh and i'd like to do a i'd like to do a state program it's just it gives some structure to it and, and real purpose oh that's fantastic uh well michael uh, once again uh, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to to join us here today um you appreciated the fact that you uh worked with uh, our producer christina on an earlier story about this flight and glad to hear that you're doing a webinar with us coming up uh, and we'll make sure to have links to both of those in the post that goes up uh, with this episode. Okay, well, thanks so much. It's it's really been a pleasure. I'm hoping that we do have Air Venture. We will this year. If if oh, good. Okay, well, I'll see what the rules are. I might fly in with uh, with my CTLS that I actually did the trip with. I was contemplating the idea of actually setting it up the way that I actually fly with the video cameras, oh. and then. I've got every square inch of that set up uh, for how I use it. And it really is quite, it's amazingly comfortable. Last point on that, you asked about uh, how does it compare to 172? Well, it's uh, about four inches wider. And for two seats, it's, I, for me, it's more comfortable than 172 because of the extra width and, uh, and the views you get from there with no spars oh, on the sure. wings. The, the video I've got is just outstanding. Well, that's that's terrific. Well, we hope you'll keep us posted uh, uh, on your adventures. Uh, if nothing else, hopefully we cross paths at uh, at Air Adventure. It's uh, twenty twenty one and definitely is on. It is definitely happening. Great. Uh, so, with that, uh, Michael, thanks uh, once again to you. Thanks as always to our listeners. Uh, especially uh, special thanks to those of you who take the time to give us some feedback, either a review on iTunes. Uh, or somewhere else where you consume your podcasts, comments on the blog posts at inspired.ea.org, and email that you send to feedback at ea.org. Uh, those comments and uh, good thumbs-up reviews we get from you are the reasons we're able to continue doing the show. So once again, thanks to all of you, and we look forward to catching up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot.